From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Thank you for your ears, friends. Hope you're warm, comfortable, well-fed. My name is Richard Serrett. Welcome to the broadcast. Tim, Tim Spreen, my producer. I invited you to my 50th birthday. I sent you an email. Why weren't you there? Not, I'm putting you on the spot. I know. What happened? What happened, Tim? I get said email. You didn't. I can show you. I'll show you the email. You didn't get it. It must have gone right to your spam folder. I do have a pretty intense spam folder. How disappointing. My own producer, not at my 50th birthday party. I'm terribly sorry. All right. Well, you can take me out for a drink later. You do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, wow. Um, both of my boys made me uh, these beautiful cards, birthday cards. And uh, Little North, who he can, uh, he looks at you in those beautiful blue eyes, and then he can cut you to the quick, just like that. And he, Zach made me a beautiful, lovely, heartfelt card. Uh, such an innocent child. And then North hands me this card. He goes, open mine first, he said. Uh, so I did. And it included this handwritten note. And it said, Dad, happy birthday, you big old lump, <laughs> which he calls me, big old lump. Uh, he says, you're almost a half century. Uh, do you need a cane? <laughs> and then he says, and you don't even dye your hair. That's amazing. Love, North. And so I said to him, how old do I look? And without missing a beat, he said, you look 50, Dad. <laughs> and uh, Joan Rivers said, looking 50 is great. If you're 60. <laughs> anyway, we've got a great show for you tonight. And a little later in the program, uh, an update to an earlier interview with the author of The Rabbi Who Found Messiah, uh, Carl Gallops, was with us just a few weeks ago to talk about the end times prophecies uh, of Rabbi Yitzhak Kaduri. And if you tuned into that, uh, if you tuned in that night, you'll know that back in 2005, Rabbi Kaduri, then 108 years old, uh, the most venerated rabbinical Jewish leader in Israel proclaimed he had personally seen the Messiah in a vision and that the name of the Messiah was to be mysteriously and cryptic, cryptically sealed in a message. And instructions were given to lock the message away until one year after the rabbi's death. When Kaduri died, several hundred thousand people flooded the streets of Jerusalem for his funeral. It was one of the largest in Israel's history. And the death message was secreted away for one year as the rabbi had instructed. And then the message was opened and deciphered and, and it caused quite a storm. It was met with incredible skepticism and denial and understandably so. Again, here we have the most venerated rabbinical Jewish leader in Israel revealing in his death note that the Messiah is Yeshua, Jesus. Well, there is an important a prophecy we, we hinted at the last time Carl was with us. We didn't get to it, but we will tonight, and it ties into the recent passing of former Israel Prime Minister, Israeli Prime Minister Ariel Sharon, who, of course, just died after languishing in a coma for eight years. That's coming up a little bit later. But first, there was another story that caught my attention over the, the Christmas holidays, and I filed it and then got caught up in the ice storm and, and forgot about it. Uh, then, our resident paranormal researcher here on The Conspiracy Show, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, got in touch with me and said she was itching to talk about the elves of Iceland. If you don't know the story, these elf 
Elf advocates in Iceland have joined forces with environmentalists to urge the Icelandic Road and Coastal Commission and local authorities to abandon the highway project be, uh, building a direct route from the Elfatan, uh, sorry, I don't speak Icelandic, uh, anyway, from the Elftanis Peninsula, where the president has a home, to the Reykjavik suburb of Gardaber. And these elf advocates fear disturbing elf habitat and claim the area is particularly important because it contains an elf church. The project's been halted until the Supreme Court of Iceland rules on a case brought up by a group known as Friends of Lava, who cite both the environmental and the cultural impact, including the impact on elves of the road project. The group has regularly brought hundreds of people of, uh, people out to block the bulldozers. And it's not the first time issues about Holdu folk, Icelandic for hidden folk, have affected planning decisions. They occur so often that the Road and Coastal Administration has come up with a stock media response for elf inquiries, which states that, quote, issues have been settled by delaying the construction project at a certain point while the elves living there have supposedly moved on, end quote. Scandinavian folklore is full of elves, trolls, and other mythological characters. Most people in Norway, Denmark, and Sweden haven't taken them seriously since the 19th century, but elves are no joke to many in Iceland. Population, 320,000. A survey conducted by the University of Iceland in 2007, get this, found that 62% of the 1,000 respondents thought it was at least possible that elves exist. Ragenhilder John's daughter, a self-proclaimed seer, believes she can communicate with the creature, uh, creatures through telepathy. It will be a terrible loss and damaging both for the elf world and for us humans, said John Stutter of the Road Project. Well, John Stutter of Iceland is not the only seer who believes in Holdu folk or hidden folk. As I mentioned, Rosemary Ellen Guiley does also, and she's developed, delved deeply into the world of elves, trolls, fairies, and more of our interdimensional neighbors over her long and varied career. Rosemary is the author of over 45 books and hundreds of articles on a wide range of topics. She conducts original field investigations of hauntings and mysterious sites, researches entity contact, experiences and spirit communications, and she's a consulting editor of Fate magazine, and she joins us once a month here in The Conspiracy Show. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, how are you? I'm doing well, Richard, and I wanted to give you my own birthday greetings. Ah, thank you very much. Well, one day I'll return the favor when you turn 50. (laughs) I'll never make it to 50. (laughs) Well, I'll give you a dozen years. I think you'll you'll get there. But if you reach 108, maybe you'll still look like 50. (laughs) Yes, there'll be a... That's right. There'll be a... What was Oscar Wilde, the picture of Dorian Gray? There'll be a picture of me in the attic getting older. That's right. So what do you make of this uh, this elf story? When I first read it, the fir- when I first looked at the headline, I thought, oh, well, isn't this kind of quaint and cute? Uh, you know, they're sort of paying homage to ancient Icelandic folklore, but it's not really, they're not taking it seriously. But it appears that they actually are. They are taking it seriously, and it's not the first time that stories have made the international news. Uh, and we're probably only hearing about the tip of the iceberg. There was... Um, uh, another major story back in 2011 about a uh, another road construction project in Iceland uh, near a village where they were putting up an anti-avalanche barrier and 
uh, they started blasting a tunnel through a hill, and the construction workers started getting pelted by stones, rains of stones that started coming down on them from nowhere apparent. And, uh, of course, the locals said, oh, this is the elves. The elves are getting angry at, at all of this construction work. It's disturbing their landscape because um, one of the beliefs about elves is that they live in the rocks, in hilly areas, and mountainous areas. And uh, so uh, work was halted on the project uh, for a while, and the townspeople got together, and they held ceremonies, ceremonies and um, petitioned the elves, uh, saying they were sorry, um, they, they wanted to work out a compromise, they sang songs to them. Uh, and, of course, a lot of people think this is backward superstition, but it's not. It's These are people who are still very aware of the other residents of the earth, the invisible uh, residents who share the landscape with us, and it wasn't that long ago that our, our very own Celtic ancestors and even American ancestors felt the same way. So they've uh, managed in Iceland to, to retain a, an awareness and uh, a sense of this interdimensional earth that many other people have lost. Well, I think of elves, of course. We think of uh, we think of Santa Claus and and um, you know the the denizens of the North Pole and uh, elves make toys and so forth. And then if we we think about J.R.R. Tolkien and and uh, the elves that in, inhabited, uh, um, I guess you know the Middle Earth in um, the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and so forth. So I mean, which which sort of depiction of of elves is is more accurate? Do you think are they uh, these fierce warriors that are pretty handy with a bow and arrow, or are they uh, uh, you know these tiny little creatures that uh, uh, make toys? Actually, Tolkien's version of the elves is probably closer to what our uh, ancestors perceived and believed in. They've um, fell, Aries and fell uh, fairies and elves have kind of uh, gotten cutesified over the years, uh, turned into uh, cute little things, when actually our ancestors knew them as quite formidable beings who were um, not to be trifled with, not to be crossed, and also who uh, many of whom, whom did not have a very good opinion of human beings. And that's kind of the attitude we see in the Tolkien elves, is that... Um, they keep to themselves. Uh, they have kind of a disdain for uh, other other life forms that that they think are not as enlightened as themselves. Well, in, in fairy lore, which includes the elves, and many times we just have different labels for the the same thing. These hidden folk who live uh, in the landscape and in these subterranean earth, um, they're they're everywhere. And uh, people have been interacting with them since, uh, you know, early times. They're still around. I do believe it. And um, if you take the time and effort to tune into them, you will find them. And what do they look like? They take all kinds of appearances. They can range from looking like diminutive human beings, like the Snow White and Seven Dwarf kind of variety, uh, they can be balls of light, little pinpoints of light. Uh, I've had many cases, modern cases, where people have uh, reported them having wings. That would be more in the fairies than the elves. Um, they don't really need wings, and that was, was um, 
very popularized by the Victorians in art, uh, the little beings with the wings. Uh, they can be big. They can be bigger than human beings. And, in fact, um, accounts from Scotland uh, talk about fairy uh, folk who are much taller and more graceful than human beings. Um, the way Tolkien uh, portrays the elves in uh, the Lord of the Rings uh, stories um, they have so many appearances that um, William Butler, Butler Yeats once said that fairies appear however they want to appear and how we're capable of perceiving them. Um, so uh, they're shapeshifters. Uh, they have kind of a mischievous nature many times. So they take different guises. And then I also think that um, when, when we're seeing the unseen, our brain has to make sense of patterns of energy that are unfamiliar to us, and uh, so this may account for some of the variation in their appearances as well. All right, and when we talk about these uh, huldu folk or hidden folk, there seems to be this common denominator that uh, they're trying to prevent uh, us humans from damaging or destroying their favorite things, and uh, their favorite things seem to be uh, ancient uh, uh, stands of trees, and we'll talk about that when we come back. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, as we talk about elves and other hidden folk here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. What does the recent death of Ariel Sharon have to do with the end times? Well, stay tuned. We will find out later in the hour when I'm joined by Carl Gallops, author of The Rabbi Who Found Messiah. That was one of the prophecies of the 108-year-old Rabbi Yitzhak Kaduri. Uh, we talked to Carl a few weeks ago, and we didn't have time to address the Ariel Sharon prophecy. And now, of course, uh, with the the death of Sharon, it's in the news, and we will address that right now. Oh, let me uh, also point out, coming up next week on the program, the ancient giants who ruled America, the missing skeletons, and the great Smithsonian cover-up. Uh, right now, our dear friend Rosemary Ellen Guiley joins us as we talk about uh, elves, trolls, uh, fairies, goblins, and other hidden folk. And uh, this story in Iceland, um, the uh, elf advocates are concerned about this massive road construction project that's uh, going through the heart of uh, uh, the, the island of ice and fire. And uh, that seems to be sort of the common denominator with these interdimensional Entities is that uh, they don't seem pleased with what we're doing with the environment, and especially when we we tend to uh, cut down old stands of trees, especially elder and oak and blackthorn. This is a common theme in fairy lore, and uh, for example, there are quite a few documented stories from uh, the uh, early 20th century and the 19th century in England, Scotland, Ireland. Um, northern France, uh, about fairies who get very upset when uh, people come and build on their land or take down their favorite trees. And uh, we see this with other uh, entities as well. For example, I've documented some gin cases where uh, land seems to be occupied by uh, gin who have a strong relationship to fairies. And in fact, uh, in some cases, it may be hard to separate the two. 
Uh, and they also react to people cutting down their favorite trees. Uh, fairy lore is very strong uh, concerning magical trees. Um, certain trees believe the wood, you know, believed to have magical properties. Fairies live there. And people who violate fairy territory pay a heavy price for that. And there are stories of people who've had their homes destroyed, who've even lost their lives, uh, their fortune, their health, because they, uh, they cross the fairies. And sometimes it's inadvertent, uh, and sometimes it's deliberate. Uh, but the, the bottom line is um, fairies have a very strong sense of territory, a sense of home, and things that are sacred to them. And when human beings come along and uh, violate those, uh, they react with a great deal of anger and revenge. So are you using the terms fairies and elves sort of interchangeably? Yes, because um, they're all part of these classes of hidden people, and they share similar creation stories about um, being on the planet first, uh, losing territory and ground to human beings and retreating into more remote places, uh, even under the earth. Uh, they have supernatural powers, shape-shifting ability. Uh, similar stories are told about these hidden people all over the planet. And um, uh, trolls would be part of that class as well. Uh, we find in different parts of the world uh, distinct regional characteristics, like, for example, the Scandinavian trolls are um, beings who especially live um, under bridges and like to rush out and attack people, and, and they're rather um, ferocious and ugly and nasty, whereas um, fairies span um, more of a range of beautiful to ugly and live in different kinds of habitats. But they all share the same common ground, so I think we, we just apply different names to the same kinds of beings that humans have had interactions with for centuries. Yeah, you, not surprisingly, Ireland uh, uh, is um, a land steeped in, in uh, fairy and uh, elf lore. And uh, in one of your books, you, you uh, recount the story of uh, a couple of Irish gentlemen who tried to, to drain, uh, I believe it was Hart Lake, near Sligo, Ireland, and, and, and uh, some of the misfortune that befell them. Can you uh, recount that story? Well, when they tried to uh, drain the, li- the lake, they began having visions that their houses were burning down, and um, they, uh, they went rushing home only to find that their homes were okay. It was just tricks played by the fairies, but it was kind of a warning. Uh, well, some other people weren't quite so lucky. There's another story out of Ireland um, about a, a man who cut a branch of a sacred elder tree that was hanging over a saint's well. And fairies um, are often said to guard um, sacred springs and wells. And the fairies were so upset that uh, they also did the same sort of thing, uh, sending him sort of visions about his uh, house burning down. Um, and twice he went running home, uh, uh, only to find that his home was fine. Um, and he continued with uh, cutting the branch. And when he finally got the branch cut, then um, he went home and discovered that his home had, in fact, burned down. So the fairies had tried to give him a couple warnings. Uh, he didn't pay attention. 
he, he uh, violated their sacred tree, and so they retaliated by burning his house down. I, again, I go back to the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, and I'm wondering, do you think he actually, did he believe in these interdimensional creatures, or was he using them as a metaphor, or uh, because, uh, I mean, he's, he's, he's just so, um, he just seems to be so, I don't know, enthralled by them, or... or uh, preoccupied with, with these with these entities. Tolkien said uh, that he was just trying to entertain his kids when he wrote you know started writing these stories. But the uh, the detail of his stories and his creative vision uh, in building these these worlds uh, reveals a, a vast knowledge of um, of these beings and these mythologies. So um, I, I think he was fascinated by this and had made quite a study of it um, and combined that with, uh, you know, a, a very good imagination. You know, just, just a few days ago, my, my husband Joe and I went out to dinner and um, we had a nice young man from Ireland as our waiter. And um, so we started chatting with him and um, he'd only been in this country a year. And I said, uh, well, do you believe in fairies? He said, oh, yes. And he said, my uncle once tried to cut down um, a tree and uh, was stopped by the neighbors because they warned him that it was a tree sacred to the fairies and he would uh, be uh, punished if he did so. And he paid attention to them and did not cut the tree down. So these sorts of beliefs are still very much alive and well in uh, parts of the world. And what about closer to home on this side of the pond and, and more modern uh, encounters with these hidden folk? What can you tell us about more modern encounters? Uh, here in, in America, in, in the modern Western world, I find uh, people expect fairies to be like Tinkerbell, uh, small, cute little things with wings that tend to nature. And... <clears throat> Uh, when they report encounters with them, it's often with these kinds of beings that they see out in nature. And then um, we also have um, people who've been familiar with the Findhorn story from um, from Scotland, the, the people who uh, colonized a very barren area and started communicating with presences of the land that they called divas, uh, who enabled them to have spectacular farming results there. And the uh, Findhorn community is uh, still very thriving today. But they describe these uh, spirits of the land, which would be fairies or related to fairies, as very tall, uh, shining pillars of light. And uh, that's why they had referred to them as divas. So we find those sorts of, of cases as well. Um, I find that many people want to have a contact with fairies, and I've done a couple of books on fairies. I've, I've seen and communicated with fairies myself. I've never had any bad experiences with them, fortunately. Um, and I think it can be done through um, meditative uh, practices, through developing your third eye, and also having the intention of um, respect and, and good intention. Um, Goodwill. Well, who does? That, uh, why do certain people get to see them and, and others do not? For example, I, I a member of um, my family uh, that you know back in the old country, 
um, has some amazing stories to tell as a young child, encountering what whether they were whether they were fairies or uh, wood nymphs or whatever. And then uh, when this person came to this country, um, saw what sounds like, based on her uh, on the on the description, to be an elf of some sort in the house. So, why do certain people get to see them and others do not? Some of it may be a cultural conditioning. If you grow up in a culture that accepts the presence of these beings and your family members talk about seeing them, uh, you learn from a very early age how to perceive their presence. And uh, in more developed and urban areas and where the folklore has been uh, lost over decades, uh, that sort of awareness... um, becomes lost as well, and it can be reclaimed. Uh, people can um, can do so by making a deliberate effort to, to tune into that. And you do find these beings in homes as well, uh, and I think a lot of us have uh, resident spirits who are mostly benign, sometimes a little on the tricky side, that uh, come and go in our houses all the time, and sometimes they do take up residence in them. Uh, many people have, in general... Uh, gotten out of touch with the ability to see the unseen. And uh, this was much more a part of daily life in, in earlier times where people lived closer to the land. Um, they had different uh, lifestyles. Uh, they weren't so distracted with uh, the noise and racket that uh, we surround ourselves with now. And that can be a detriment as well to tuning into to these uh, beings. But it can be done with with a bit of effort, and um, in your own backyard, uh, in the park down the street, um, if you take a bit of time and cultivate wanting to um, go through that that interdimensional veil and uh, and see these beings who are uh, part of the unseen earth, uh, most people will have success at it. When uh, when I was uh, married um, uh, and you know set up a set up a household with the mighty Aphrodite, uh, I was presented with a pair of red pillows, and uh, told I was told to, you know to place these on the uh, on the sofa and that these would keep the elves away. Have you heard anything like that before? I have indeed, Richard. And uh, red is a color that uh, in folklore repels any unwanted spirit. And uh, so uh, red ribbon, in fact, people in earlier times, they would tie red ribbons, uh, red yarn on their children's clothing so that they wouldn't be bothered by pesky spirits. They would put uh, red ornaments on their uh, horses um, so that the horses wouldn't be spooked by them. And uh, if people start having um, an unwanted spirit active in the house, then uh, red would be a remedy for that. And in other parts of the world, they use blue. In the Middle East, we find blue is the color that repels these uh, spirits. Also, iron. And uh, that's another very important piece of fairy elf folklore, is that uh, if you don't want to be bothered by them at night or in the house, uh, you have to have iron around. And so it was a custom to put uh, iron tools, iron scissors, iron nails, uh, things like that, like under the bed, um, nailed to the uh, the top of the threshold of a doorway, 
and uh, this would also keep the spirits away. Now, in uh, Reverend um, Kirk's account from the 1600s in Scotland, where he claimed to have um, gone and, and visited the fairy world, um, he reports that the fairies told him that they are indeed weakened by iron and that that is a very effective weapon against them. Well, the red pillows must be working because I have not seen uh, anything unusual uh, or supernatural. Now, are these uh, these uh, these entities existing in our realm but simply at a different vibrational rate, or are they in another dimension? My belief is that uh, they are in another dimension. They have their own world like we do, but they are living on the earth like us. Uh, they're just living at, uh, this would be another vibrational level, this dimension, that is invisible to us most of the time and becomes visible only under certain circumstances, but they, they do share the earth with us. Now, uh, some of the cases that I've collected in my, my jinn research, uh, who are another kind of supernatural entity who share the planet with us, uh, many of these cases are quite troubling to people, and that's... Uh, I, I think I'm seeing kind of a, a skewed end of the spectrum because uh, people come and report their difficulties to me. You know, people are happy with their spirits um, and not likely to hear about it as often as when people have trouble. And um, these cases deal also with um, some sort of presence that seems to be attached to the land that also reacts to uh, people occupying the same piece of land and uh, some of these entities get very upset i've had some cases where uh, people have done things like cut down trees or started to cut down trees do clearings and things like that and all of a sudden they're just in a hail of poltergeist activity uh, mysterious accidents illnesses that can't be explained um, nightmares things going on uh, that can be associated, the onset of it can be associated to uh, to the tree activity. Well, there beware the next time you go out and, uh, you know, decide to uh, prune back that uh, that white ash or maple tree. You might be in, first. You might be inviting yourself, uh, by inviting some uh, some trouble. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, always a pleasure. Thank you, Richard. The website, visionaryliving.com. Go on to her uh, bookstore. There's like almost 50 books there uh, to peruse and order, and uh, you will not be disappointed with any of them. Uh, until next month, adieu, my dear. Thank you, and you too. Good night. Good night. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, back with the rabbi who found Messiah and the death of Ariel Sharon. What does it mean for the end times? Stick around and find out. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Don't be afraid. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Did Adolf Hitler survive the uh, Berlin bunker and escape to South America aboard a German U-boat? Uh, we'll find out in a couple of weeks' time when we are joined by author Jerome Corsi, and uh, he'll talk about his explosive new book, which contains some pretty compelling evidence that Hitler, in fact, uh, did survive uh, and lived out his life in a... Uh, a rather opulent conclave uh, somewhere in South America. Uh, now, uh, Israelis 
are paying their uh, final respects to former Prime Minister Ariel Sharon, who passed away after an eight-year fight for his life. He languished in a coma uh, for eight years. Uh, meanwhile, many Palestinians are celebrating the death of the 85-year-old uh, Prime Minister. But it may shock and surprise you to know that the death of Ariel Sharon is tied to the beginning of the end times, according to the prophecies of an 108-year-old rabbi by the name of Yitzhak Kuduri. And several weeks ago, we had the author of this book, the rabbi who found Messiah on the program, Carl Gallops, uh, and we talked about the secret uh, death note that he, uh, that, that Rabbi Kaduri left, which was to be revealed only one year after his death, uh, the rabbi claimed that he had a vision in which the identity of the Messiah was revealed to him and the the um, the name of the Messiah contained in this death note, of course, was uh, shocking, uh, was met with um, derision, skepticism, denial. Understandably, again, we're talking about um, a very prominent rabbi from Israel declaring that the Messiah was, in fact, Yeshua, Jesus. However, uh, I think we hinted at um, the Ariel Sharon prophecy the last time Carl was with us, but we didn't get around to really discussing it. And now, of course, with the the death of Ariel Sharon, it's important that uh, I, 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 I thought that we revisit this topic. And uh, with that in mind, we welcome back to the program Carl Gallops, who is, as I say, the author of the rabbi who found Messiah. He's also the author of The Magic Man in the Sky, effectively defending the Christian faith. He's a senior pastor since 1987, a former law inform- uh, enforcement officer, and a longtime conservative talk radio host broadcasting to a national and international audience. He's the founder of the Internet sensation P.P. Simmons News and Ministry Sites and serves on the Board of Regents for the University of Mobile in Mobile, Alabama. His latest book, as I say, is The Rabbi Who Found Messiah, the story of Yitzhak Kaduri and his prophecies of the end time. Carl Gallops, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Oh, I'm doing wonderful, Richard, and thank you so much. What an honor to be back with you tonight. Well, uh, here we are um, with, with the death of... Ariel Sharon, just uh, several weeks after we did this program, hinting uh, at this connection between uh, Sharon and the end times. So let's let's we don't have a lot of time, but let's talk about um, what Yitzhak Kaduri said uh, regarding the end times and Ariel Sharon. Did he name Sharon in in the in the prophecy, or did he did he simply call him a uh, identify him as a prominent Israeli politician? Yeah. No, no, it's rather shocking, uh, a rather shocking uh, feature or component of uh, Kaduri's prophecies about the Messiah and the impending end times. And by the way, uh, Kaduri, uh, for several years prior to his death, uh, was speaking of his visions of Messiah. Of course, he didn't name the Messiah, as you said a few moments ago, until after he died. But but the pro- one of the prominent features was that he was calling for all Jews to return to Israel, to come to Israel, to come back to Israel, because there was this uh, urgency, there was this uh, imminency of the coming of Christ, of of of, of the Messiah, uh, according to Kaduri. So, um, as those years went by, and Israeli Israeli media sources reported his urgent pleas for Jews to come to Israel because of the 
soon coming of Messiah. Then near the end of his life, in, in, in the end of 2005, he said not only did he meet the Messiah personally and knew the name of the Messiah and would leave it in a note, that was the shocking thing, number one, he said, but shocking thing number two, he said, was that it had been revealed to him, apparently in, in this vision, uh, through, through God, that Messiah would not come to Israel. Messiah would not reveal himself until after the death of Ariel Sharon. He named Ariel Sharon as a part of this end-time prophecy. Now, as you know, Richard, what, was, uh, what, what made this so startling, first of all, the two things that he said, I know the name of the Messiah, that was pretty shocking, and, and, and number two, that, it's con- that the Messiah's coming is connected to uh, Ariel Sharon's death. Well, when Kaduri said those two things, late 2005, uh, uh, Ariel Sharon was the 11th Prime Minister, and as far as anybody knew at that time, was in good health. Uh, but within weeks, uh, this was this, these statements were made in September and October of 2005, but by December, late December, Ariel Sharon had his first stroke. January of 2006, he had another stroke and then went into a coma. Now, that was January the 4th, 2006. Within a few weeks, Yitzhak Kaduri himself died in, in the month of January. So by January 2006, Yitz, uh, uh, Ariel Sharon was in a coma, and Yitzhak Kaduri had died. And this is all within weeks of Kaduri making this prophecy about the coming of the Messiah and tying it to the death of Ariel Sharon. So, of course, when all of that happened, then people waited anxiously, first of all, for this death note to be opened. It was scheduled to be opened one year after Kaduri's death. Secondly, at, at, you know, uh, concurrent with that, they're, they're watching the fact that, that Ariel Sharon, this man that's a part of the prophecy, this face of Israel, this, 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 uh, the king of Israel, some people call him, the, the, the lion of God, um, he's lying in a coma. And, you know, most, peop- most people, Richard, as you know, don't live eight years in a coma. I don't guess anybody would have suspected back then, eight years ago, that he uh, would have been in a coma that long. No, in but- fact, re- and recently they discovered that, the, that, that um, uh, Sharon apparently had some active uh, activity in his brain, that there were some brain waves which indicated, you know, that maybe he might be revived. We'll take a time out, Carl. We'll come back and we'll continue to talk about the connection between the death of Errol Sharon and the end times. The author of The Rabbi Who Found Messiah, Carl Gallops, joins me here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Former Israeli Prime Minister Ariel Sharon, who was uh, at the height of his power when he suffered a stroke in 2006 and fell into an irreversible coma, uh, died Saturday at the age of 85. He died at the Tel Hashomer Hospital just outside Tel Aviv with his family at his bedside. Sharon's son, uh, Gilad Sharon, announced his death Saturday afternoon outside the hospital where he was being treated. He has gone. He went when he decided to go, he said. Ariel Sharon was a renowned warrior, the champion of uh, Jewish settlements, and had a strong uh, advocate of uh, freedom. His career spanned the history of Israel from its establishment in 1948. Uh, but his, what is really interesting is that uh, Sharon's death uh, was predicted 
uh, sort of as a as a triggering mechanism, I guess, for the second coming by Rabbi Yitzhak Kaduri. And uh, the author of The Rabbi Who Found Messiah, Carl Gallops, uh, joins us on The Conspiracy Show to tell us uh, more. So it is interesting that he, he languished in this coma for, for eight years as if, what, hanging on until the, 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 the circumstances were, were correct? So, I mean, what does this mean, that, that his death uh, indicates the beginning of the end times and now the, the, the clock, the end times clock, is now in motion? Well, it's interesting. Thank you, Richard, uh, for having me on, and thank you for asking that question. Prophecy buffs around the world, of course, have analyzed this thing inside and out, and and I kind of do the same thing with my book uh, because people have various um, uh, you know theories as to, as to what this means. Some see it as a as a time marker, as a as a as a prophetic time marker. Um, the thing the thing about it is. Uh, first of all, you mentioned right before going to break that in uh, January of 2000, it was in January of 2013 when doctors were actually saying that his uh, brain waves were exhibiting uh, uh, telltale signs of, uh, of of normal activity, and that that shocked the doctors because at that point he had been in a coma a full seven years, and 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 the, and the Januarys that line up with this are just amazing, Richard. January 2006, he goes into a coma. January 2006, Yitzhak Kaduri, the one that made the prophecy, died. January 2007, the prophetic death note is opened. January 2013, uh, his brainwave activity uh, picks up, and doctors are reporting, and and world media is reporting. Fox News ran several specials on the fact that it looked like he might even come out of the coma. January 2014, the first day of January, the brand new day of the new year, headline news and international news was that Ariel Sharon was on his last days. Well, January the 11th, which happened to be seven days after, you know, he went into a coma on the 4th in 2006, so seven days after, on the Sabbath day, it was on the Sabbath in Israel, Ariel Sharon passes. So yes, people have seen all manner of, of time marker connections to his coma, to his death. Some believe that uh, if it's connected, if, if this Israeli, venerated Israeli rabbi uh, got the prophecy correct and, and, and truly heard from God, uh, that, uh, that there is a, a real time marker connection uh, to the coming of Messiah, indicating, of course, the last days. Now, that whole topic of the coming of the Messiah is extremely complex in that the Jewish mind, of course, they do, the Jews do not receive that Jesus is the Messiah. Of course, you know that, Richard. And, of course, yes. And, yes, and, and so, they, in fact, they, they kind of, they're, they're looking for two Messiahs, one called Messiah ben Joseph and the other Messiah ben David. Of course, ben means son of. Uh, Messiah ben Joseph, they're looking for kind of a military, governmental figure who will kind of be the savior of Israel. Now, I said that, and, and then, of course, Messiah ben David would be the ultimate ruling and reigning Messiah. But I said that, though, Richard, because it's interesting, and my book covers this, there are many in Israel uh, who believe that Ariel Sharon was, in fact, that Messiah ben Joseph. Now, not every Jew believes that, but there are a number who did because he was such the face of Israel, and he literally did save Israel many times and in various wars and, 
and uh, and and conflicts. And in fact, he was even dubbed in the Jewish media with the name not only King of Israel and the and the Lion of God, but one of his nicknames in the media was Ariel Sharon, Savior of Israel. Uh, so. Yeah, this man is a, is an amazing historical figure. Um, he is he truly is the face of Israel. Uh, was was in Israel before it was ever a nation. Was a part of Israel government and military until the day of his death. Of course, the eleventh prime minister on the day of his death. And then, as you said, as you began this show, and as my book relates, so intimately connected to an amazing prophecy by an amazing rabbi, and again for your audience, Richard, I want to remind your audience, this rabbi was not just some some obscure little rabbi tucked away in the bowels of Jerusalem. This Yitzhak Kaduri, when he died, was 108 years old. He, 300,000 people, Richard, came to his funeral, lined the streets of Jerusalem. They had to close the city down for a day and a half, two days. Uh, the snippets of his funeral were carried by media around the world. This guy was venerated, probably the most famous rabbi in modern Israel's history. And he is the one, he is the one, Richard, who left the death note proclaiming that the real Messiah had appeared to him, and the name of the real Messiah was Yeshua, Jesus, and that this Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, would not present himself to Israel, would not come, would not appear until Ariel Sharon had passed. And now that Ariel Sharon has passed, prophecy people around the world are raising some eyebrows and taking a look at the times in which we live. Okay, so if I'm remembering uh, Daniel and, and Revelations and, and so forth correctly, and, and getting into the sort of the uh, eschatology or the um, uh, sort of the end times um, um, uh, prophecies, uh, before we get to the second coming, there has to be. Uh, what were called, you know, Jacob's troubles or the the, the tribulation. Yes. So walk us through. Uh, let us assume for a moment that the death of Ariel Sharon is this signpost, and that that essentially puts the end time clock into motion. Walk us through then what happens leading up to the the second coming. Okay, I, I will do that, Richard. And that's a very fair question, and I'm sure many in your audience want an answer to that as well. But I want to preface it by saying that there are many. Well, there are several different branches of eschatological timing and scenarios, calendars, charts, graphs, maps. People have their different schools of thought, and, and uh, I don't want to split and divide your audience and anger people by taking a specific uh, eschatological view and saying this is how it is. So let me just speak generally. Uh, generally speaking, the scriptures seem to indicate, according to many prophecy experts, you're exactly right, that before uh, Jesus Christ returns and sets up his kingdom on the face of the earth and restores, uh, you, you know, the kingdom rule of, of the Lord. Before that happens, there will be a time, as the Bible, as the Old Testament says, of Jacob's trouble, as, as the Bible says, a time of tribulation or great trouble, as Jesus said, like, like the world has never seen before. Um, uh, there will be that time. Some have it marked out as a seven-year period ushered in by one whom the Bible calls the son of perdition or uh, the abomination that causes desolation. Uh, uh, John refers to him in First uh, John, Second John, the, uh, the Antichrist that is to come. Uh, so 
so with with that in mind oh and there's and there's a rapture in there too and of course there are different theories as to the timing of the rapture will the rapture come before the antichrist appears will he will the rapture occur during kind of the the midterm reign of that seven year period or will the rapture occur after the seven year period and different prophecy people are divided into different camps but the bottom line richard in answer to your question many people believe in light of this uh, rabbi's prophecy because let's face it he named jesus as the messiah well he got that right <laughs> and he also said that messiah would not come before sharon died well he got that right so uh, because he was crying with such urgency for jews to return to israel because the end times were upon us and the messiah was soon to return many extrapolate that to mean that at the death of sharon very soon thereafter, these end times would would begin to unfold. And you're right, that would, according to the Word of God, that would mean that uh, the Antichrist system would appear on the face of the earth, and we would go through this time of Jacob's trouble or tribulation, and, uh, of course, the rapture would occur in there, depending upon where your eschatology is, and then, of course, the, the rule and reign of, of Jesus Christ. Um, the skeptics, though, uh, Carl, would say, you know, uh, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Correct. No one knows. Not even yes. the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father. Yes. So yes. how do you respond to that? How could Rabbi Kaduri know, you know, when the end time clock will start clicking? Right. Uh, you know, when Matthew twenty four thirty six says nobody knows. Yes. Well, no. Well, my answer to that is very clear, and that is from all of my studies and 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 writing this book and researching, I. Could find, I could find nowhere where Rabbi Kaduri set a time and a date. In other words, he did not say that the Messiah would return uh, the day after uh, Sharon dies, or the month after, or even the year after. What he said was, simply what he said was, Messiah would not come before Sharon died. But after Sharon died is when Messiah would come. But he didn't say when, so he didn't name a date and time. And of course, I, I don't either. I've, I've been in the ministry 30 years. I have never... Uh, declared a date and a time, and my book does not do that either. My book simply uh, journalizes and records this amazing story and all the various arms and branches of it. But you're exactly right. I think the Christians especially need to be very careful that we don't uh, try to set a particular date and time for the for the return of the Lord. However, Richard, having said that, we can certainly take the words of Jesus as he chastised the Pharisees and said, look, you can tell the weather by looking at the signs in the skies, but you don't even know the signs of the times in which you live. And, of course, he was referring to the fact that here was the Messiah standing right in front of them, and the Pharisees knew those scriptures backwards and forwards, supposedly, had the prophecies in their possession, but yet they were so uh, had so deluded them down by their own individualistic, nationalistic interpretations of the Messiah that the Messiah was standing right in front of them. And they missed him. And so he said, look, you guys can't even discern the times in which you live. So what I'm, what I'm saying is that we're living in prophetic times. We're living in exciting times. I mean, Israel has restored, is restored. Israel's back in the land, uh, according to Ezekiel 37. The nations of, uh, of, of the world, the Muslim nations, the nations of the East and Asia are aligning themselves in alliances prophesied in Ezekiel 38 to attack and to destroy Israel. The gospel of the kingdom is going around the world. Now we're hearing of Muslims in the Muslim world having Jesus dreams, having visions and dreams that Jesus is the Messiah. 
Now we've got this most venerated rabbi out of Israel, 108 years old, the most famous rabbi in the last 100 years, saying, I have had a vision. I know who the Messiah is. It is Jesus. It is Jesus. And this same Messiah saying, and after Ariel Sharon dies, sometime after he dies, Messiah will come. And I'm just saying, I'm not setting dates and times, but my goodness, uh, Richard, we're living in some very prophetic, very biblical, very exciting times. Indeed. I mean, nobody nobody wants to be labeled with the, the Herald camping. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> but on the other hand, as you say, things are lining up. I recently spoke with Jonathan Kahn, the author of, uh, of The Harbinger. Yes. And, uh, uh, you know, some some interesting <laughs> interesting uh, yes. things manifesting in America that mirror what happened in, in, in ancient Israel. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be talking to uh, somebody about the, uh, the arrival of these uh, four blood moons. Yes, um, which this year. Yes, and uh, which coincide with certain feast dates and yep. and, and throughout history. Though the uh, the lining up of the blood moons with these feast dates, I believe one coincided with the birth of Israel, another coincided with the war of uh, the Six Day War in 1967. Correct. Uh, so you know all of these things that seem to be coming together. Um, it is. Uh, it, it, it certainly makes you stop and think, wow, I mean, this, you know, I, and I think people feel it in their gut. There's, we're on the precipice of something, yes. but they can't put their finger on it. Yes, no, no, Richard, brilliantly stated. You're absolutely right. And you know, you use the word coming together, so let me use a, a singular word for that word. Convergence is the word I use. This convergence of prophecies. I mean, we're the only generation in the history of mankind to see these prophecies of the end times converge to a pinpoint. And, and we're living it. We're watching it unfold. You mentioned Jonathan Kahn. He's in my book, as a matter of fact. I interviewed him for the book, and he's in the movie. My book has been turned into a documentary DVD uh, by award-winning film producer George Escobar and WND Films. And Jonathan Kahn is in that movie with me, explaining the Jewish mindset of well, all of this. You're both so, doing amazing work, Carl. Um, i got to fly here, but uh, we'll, yeah. t- we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much for okay, tonight. Thank you for having me, Richard. God bless you. Carl Gallops. Tim Spreen, thank you. Uh, back next week talking about the ancient giants who ruled America. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home.